We would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging that the land on which we record is the occupied, traditional, and unceded territory of the Stalo First Nation. I think it's really encouraging to see, okay, the work that we're doing is making a difference, and that is because of partnership. It's because of partnership with our communities, with our country offices, with other NGOs, and with our donors, right? We're all in this together, and, and ultimately, it's not, it's not about one of us alone. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we are here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Jenny Stacker has been working in the field of international development and humanitarian relief for over 10 years. Her passion for poverty alleviation brought her from a small NGO in Colorado to pursuing her master's in international development in Scotland to a humanitarian relief organization in Portland, Oregon, and finally to FH Canada as Senior Program Officer and where I have the privilege of working with her. Jenny is a brand new permanent resident in Canada and lives with her husband and plants in Vancouver. Welcome to the first episode of Season 3, Jenny. Thanks, Shalane. Thanks so much for having me. Our pleasure. I almost feel like we should start with how how do you actually keep your plants alive in Vancouver? But, you know, maybe that's for a different (laughs) podcast. It's been a journey. But yeah, if anyone is interested, they can message me. Happy to give my secrets. (laughs) I'm I'm guessing that it has something to do with water. Yes. Yeah, that's a great guess. And some sunlight, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as we can get Mm -hmm. in Vancouver. Right. Okay. Uh, Jenny, we are here today to talk about poverty and about the work that you do with FH and uh, a variety of different topics, actually. But we're beginning season three with each guest by asking you to complete the sentence, poverty is complex because. So can we start there? Absolutely. I think you know, as I was thinking more and more about this, I thought the simplest way that I could answer this is poverty is complex because it involves people. Ah, yes. (laughs) And do you want to expand on that at all? Sure. I think as I have learned more about poverty and worked with people in poverty and come across the systems that really perpetuate poverty, It really feels Mm. like poverty is so much about a healing of broken relationships. And that's something that we talk Mm -hmm. about so much at FH. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, people have different experiences in life. People have different ideas about what's going to help or what's going to hurt. And we're all sort of living in these different political systems and Um, Each country sort of has different processes for how they work and how they interact with Mm -hmm. um, people in their society. And so I think it really all boils down to just sort of this healing of broken relationships. Mm. Mm -hmm. And people are at the core of that. Mm -hmm. We we are all living with that um, that poverty and that need of of healing and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned multiple different aspects that people show up in, even just in your your sentence there. One of the things that I'd love to chat with you about today is 
how people coming together, organizations coming together, we often refer to it as collaboration. Um, what role do you see collaboration having in poverty alleviation? I think, you know, one of the reasons I was really excited to come on the podcast today and talk about this is because this is an area that I am really, really passionate mm-hmm. about. I think I have seen collaboration done really, really well over the last 10 years of my career, mm-hmm. and I've I've seen it done poorly. And when it's done poorly, it affects entire communities. Mm. And so the more that organizations, governments, communities can all work together towards this idea of of alleviating poverty, I think the better outcomes we often see. Mm -hmm. So then what does come to mind, a word or a phrase, when you think of collaboration at its best or maybe healthy or effective partnership? Yeah, the idea that comes to mind for me is this idea of community. I think when we can partner with each other in a healthy way, there's just this beautiful life Mm. that comes up Mm -hmm. um, and there is that healing of broken relationships. And so I think building a community isn't easy. It can be messy, Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of different pieces that play into it. But when it's done well, it's so Mm life-giving. And so when I think of these strong partnerships that are necessary for poverty alleviation, I think of really beautiful community. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a practical example of one of these beautiful communities where collaboration and partnership is working? Actually, um, I'm going to go back to my time in humanitarian relief. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was working for another NGO, similar to FH, actually, we responded to the Rohingya refugee crisis Mm -hmm. in Bangladesh in 2017. So there were around 800,000 refugees that fled in a very, very short period of time. And now there's almost a million actually in Bangladesh. So they fled from Myanmar, crossed the border. And all of a sudden you have 800,000 people in this small area and they've come with nothing. And so the UN has sort of set up this way of working that they call clusters. And it's this area where there's voluntary groups of humanitarian organizations and governments all sort of working together in these different technical sectors. Mm-hmm. So health or nutrition, shelter, education, mm-hmm. all of these different areas. And organizations sort of opt in to say, hey, we want to work with each other. We want to ensure that we are reaching unreached areas um, because when this many people come yeah. You know, when this many refugees come into a new country, you have to set up an entire city. Oh, my goodness. The infrastructure needs are huge. Absolutely. And so it was really amazing, I think, to get to see how organizations worked together Mm -hmm. um, in that scenario. Because the reality is, what everyone knows is that it's not about us. Mm. It's not about us as organizations. It's about how can we best help the people that we want to serve, Mm -hmm. that we're there to serve. Mm -hmm. And so it means how do we ensure that there's no duplication in the work that we're doing? Um, How do we ensure a greater level of accountability and that our money gets spent wisely? 
Um, so it was just really beautiful to see sort of, you know, in these humanitarian crises, of course, there's things that are working well in this system and there's things that are working not so mm-hmm. well. But it's this group of people, of organizations that are coming together to support in a really beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And we both know that this whole idea of, well, it's not an, just an idea at FH. It's the reality of how we do our work. We do it in mm-hmm. partnership, in collaboration with other organizations, with all, all manner of different um, groups. So I'm wondering if we could just spend a little bit of time talking about that. You have already mentioned the idea of community, And when I think of the work that we do at FH, communities is one of the first things that comes to mind. So where Mm -hmm. do you see partnership and collaboration fitting into the communities that FH walks with? Well, first and foremost, I think in the development sector as a whole, there's been a really positive push for partnership Mm. and not just sort of this one-sided relationship where an NGO comes in and gives material goods and the community just accepts it and we we Mm -hmm. leave. Um, Instead, FH and other organizations similar to Mm -hmm. us, I think, again, there's this really positive shift in our, our line of work, come into an organization and specifically our country offices will go to a community that they've determined has a high level of need, and they'll talk to them about FH's 10-year model. And they say, okay, listen, if you want to partner with us, then we're in this together. And it's going to be a lot of work on both sides. And sometimes that means that a community doesn't want to partner with us. But most of the time, we find that people really do. They really do want to do that work. And so for us, that looks like Um, agreeing to a partnership for 10 years, and we look at the resources that already exist within that community and then help draw those out and build on them. Mm -hmm. So I think there's this really beautiful piece of, you know, it's not just handouts. Mm -hmm. It's, It's coming in and saying, how can we best support you? What already exists and what's already really positive in this community? And then we also learned so much from those communities as well, as you already know. And then within that community, what kind of collaboration or partnerships would the country office or the staff there, who would who might they be drawing in or connecting with to create that community level collaboration? Well, number one, and, and one of the things that actually really drew me towards working for FH in the first place is our partnership with leaders in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so really coming alongside people who, you know, some people who are in government, but then mm-hmm. other people who are just really well-respected in their communities and working with them, partnering with them, um, tr- helping to maybe train them. You know, we have these Farmer groups, for example, where we find some farmers that we call lead farmers Mm -hmm. and we train them and then they go out and they train the rest of their community. Mm -hmm. And so it really is this cascading effect of knowledge um, Mm -hmm. throughout the entire community. Mm -hmm. I'm smiling because I'm thinking back to when you and I had the privilege of being in Rwanda for the community graduation and seeing the farmer leader, I believe her name was Concessa. 
and just the joy that she had because mm-hmm. she was able to be that leader within her community and surrounding communities. And then when you were mentioning two potentially political leaders, um, when we were sitting there with government leaders right beside us as mm-hmm. people who had been participating in walking with the Busakara community. Um, so mm-hmm. just that that lived experience recently of that is uh, just very, very positive in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think about a trip that I just took to Bangladesh mm-hmm. uh, in August, and we were sitting with women who were in this community-based organization. So it's a group of leaders from a variety of different savings groups, and they all come together. And we were talking to the women specifically, and we said, how has your life sort of changed since being a part Mm. of this group? And they said, one, we're allowed to leave the house now, which that was Oh my gosh, just so, yeah, so impactful, right? So maybe Mm -hmm. these people that hadn't even been seen or hadn't seen themselves as leaders Mm -hmm. who are now able to step into those roles Mm -hmm. because there's been a cultural shift, I think has been amazing to see. And then these women also said, our husbands respect us now. And that was, you know, again, just so so powerful. Yeah, exactly. It's so beautiful to see, you know, this is what true community looks like. This is what partnership looks like. Walking alongside Mm -hmm. people who who might not even see or have that um, ability or confidence in themselves at the time. Mm -hmm. And then you know, mm-hmm. to draw that out in them and say, no, no, you, you're, you're capable, you're able to do this. And the more, especially yeah. women in society see other women doing that, I think they're, they're stepping into those roles more. So that's been really encouraging for me as well. Mm-hmm. And then that partnership and collaboration, it, it seeps down into the whole community, doesn't it? Because those leaders are training other leaders who are then training people and you see this multiplication effect happening. Children are seeing their mothers step into these Mm -hmm. roles. And, you know, so their view of their community shifts as well, which Mm -hmm. is amazing to Mm -hmm. see. Yeah, the influence into that next generation. That's huge and hopeful, so Mm -hmm. hopeful. So you've mentioned country offices a little bit. Um, Maybe somebody who's listening doesn't really know what a country office is or does. So would you just expand on that a little bit? And how how do country offices play into these partnerships and this work that we do? Absolutely. So at FH, we have this model where we have offices in Canada and the U.S. and the U.K., a variety of other countries. And our role is really to support the country offices Mm -hmm. as they do the hands-on work of supporting the communities. Mm -hmm. So our country offices, we work in seven different countries Mm -hmm. all over the world. And what's really wonderful about it, I think, is 98% of FH staff are working in their country of origin. Mm -hmm. I love that. And so our, yeah, I love it so much because what that means is really that they are the experts in their own country. Mm -hmm. They understand the culture. They know how to build trust with the communities that they're working with. And it's not sort of this, you know, outsider coming in trying to do that. So our country offices They're the ones that are doing, yeah, they're doing the day-to-day heavy lifting 
um, and that hands-on work of supporting the communities. Mm-hmm. And we're just here to to be able to support mm-hmm. them. No, that's great. You mentioned uh, we work with seven different countries. That's the FH Canada office. There's a yes. whole lot yeah. more countries and communities that get worked with with FH International. Yeah, that's a great point. They're working in 18 or 19 countries mm-hmm. right now. Um, so we're just a, a small part of this bigger organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you think about partnership, oftentimes I think maybe the sector that we work in is seen as having a lot of silos or a lot of NGOs who are doing their own thing. You mentioned earlier, we try not to see services being duplicated. Uh, One of the values, I think, of effective partnership and collaboration is that funds are not wasted through Mm -hmm. duplication of things. So how do you see NGOs working together to, um, you know, for poverty alleviation, for good, and uh, that these things aren't being done twice or 10 times over? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, something I've, I've felt really encouraged by even in mm. the last few years mm-hmm. to see this happening more and more. Um, FH is a part of a few different networks of NGOs across Canada. And one of the things that we try to really see in other organizations is what are their strengths Mm -hmm. and does it maybe pair with an area that we might not be as strong in or as as Mm -hmm. technically advanced in or is there just an area where we want to grow or we feel like hey this could be a really great new technology for us to sort of adopt Mm. and so how do we partner in some pilot projects Mm -hmm. for example recently we just partnered with an organization. And um, while we have a lot of strengths in agriculture, they do as well. And Mm -hmm. they had an online training platform that we decided to pilot and it turned out to be during COVID. So that worked out really well for us. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. But they were able to sort of bring in that technology piece that we hadn't necessarily utilized before. Mm -hmm. And we tested it out in some of our country offices. Mm -hmm. And it's great because, you know, that wasn't something that we had to build on our own, but instead it was coming together to work with them um, because they already had that technology and, and they were willing to share it. So I think we are really open to partnerships like that. And I see that with other NGOs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the very large NGOs partner with some smaller organizations that have a very intense focus on one area because Mm -hmm. they know that, you know, those smaller NGOs can help them grow and can sort of get down to that community level. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this example with agriculture. Can you think of other examples within the communities we walk with where FH is, you know, on the ground partnering with other NGOs? Yeah, absolutely. Our Rwanda office actually um, really noticed that single mothers were being ostracized in some of the communities that we work Mm. in. And so they've been partnering with an organization that specifically focuses on single mothers. And yeah, so it's amazing. They're really helping them 
get the support that they need to build their confidence mm-hmm. because we can give vocational training, right? right? We we teach women how to sew or we teach people how to farm. Um, but there is this added piece of what does it look like to build up their, their emotional confi- mm. confidence? And so we're partnering with an organization there or the FH Rwanda team mm-hmm. is partnering with an organization there to yeah, that those is women. beautiful. And and again, it comes back to that. I mean, at its most kind of simple way of describing it, not reinventing the wheel and letting people mm-hmm. and organizations who specialize in a particular area really celebrating that and and not being in competition around those kinds of things. Exactly. Um, Jenny, where where do you see donors fitting into partnership and collaboration? That's a great question. I think. One of the things that I really appreciate about our FH donors is that they seem to really care very deeply about the work mm-hmm. that we're doing. And they've sort of, a lot of them have done the research mm-hmm. to know, okay, what organizations are doing positive work and where do we want to give? And they're ensuring that there is a level of transparency mm-hmm. um, with their donation. And that's something I really, really appreciate from donors because I think then they're they're better able to, you know, speak into the work, mm-hmm. see the work that we're doing, and share some of their own strengths as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think really specifically about the Ending Poverty Together workshops that you lead, Shalane, right. and just how people are so interested in really learning more and being involved. Um my generation specifically mm-hmm. and those that are younger than me, I think there has been some negativity for them surrounding NGOs. Mm-hmm. They've seen, you know, corruption and harm that's happened. And for some people, that's really turned them off from giving as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so I really love it when people say, actually, you know, I still think there are organizations doing good work mm-hmm. and I'm going to put in that research to know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I feel like our our donors do that well. Yeah. And I think um, one of the other great things about donors, and this goes back to this sense of community, is mm-hmm. we need to be able to d- develop a high level of trust with our donors, mm-hmm. you know they're working so hard to be able to provide us with funding mm-hmm. and we need to be able to be transparent in return and say, Hey, here's what's happening yeah. uh, with this money. So I- I've been really um, grateful for those interactions at FH. Mm-hmm. One of the, I think, beautiful ways that you see the collaboration happening within our, our organization is the reporting that happens So Mm -hmm. in the international programs department, how you gather information and that really, well, maybe, why don't you describe it? Because you're going to describe it better than I can. How does the reporting that donors receive come to be? Because to me, it's this beautiful picture of a whole bunch of people working together. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Um, So we receive reports, we receive long form reports Mm -hmm. from our offices twice a year. So sort of a mid-year and year-end report. And we receive other check-ins on a quarterly basis as well. Um, We have a lot of back-end processes where we can see data that's coming in almost in real time, Mm -hmm. which is also uh, great. But for our bigger reporting seasons, our country offices, specifically our our area program managers, Mm -hmm. so the way that we work is we have a 
a few communities that make up an area program. And then the people that work in those area programs write their um, reports, send them to the country offices. The country offices add even more detail and send them to us where we review them and ask questions, go back and forth with our country offices to ensure that we have a greater understanding of actually what is happening in these programs. Mm -hmm. And then we work really closely with our marketing team and our philanthropy team to determine, okay, what piece of this do donors really care Mm -hmm. about and what do they want to know about? Mm -hmm. So we take our our reporting really seriously around Mm -hmm. here. And just going right back to the, the community level, when the area program staff are collecting their information, that's both anecdotal and objective scientific kind of measuring, right? Like what what all is included mm-hmm. in that? We have both quantitative and Thank qualitative you. Those are the words I data. Was for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked the way you explained it better. Um, yeah, we have both. So um, each year they the country offices put together a plan and they say here's everything we're going to accomplish throughout the year. They have activities, what we call outputs and outcomes. They write all of those out and then we track them throughout the year and say, okay, has this been accomplished? And that's more of this sort of uh, data piece Mm -hmm. to say how many people were actually reached by this. Mm -hmm. And then every couple of years, we do a more intensive um, assessment or analysis where we have tons of people go in and interview households. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're really able to get sort of more data on Are we moving the needle? Mm -hmm. Is there change? Is there long-term change and growth happening? Mm -hmm. So not just we trained 100 farmers and they all got chickens, but instead, you know, every two or three years, we look at, okay, because of those activities, Mm -hmm. what's happening? You know, are people more financially stable? Are they sending their kids to school more often because they have their finances? So. Those are the ones that those are the reports that I get really excited yes. about because you're able to see sort of over time, you mm-hmm. know, what all of these inputs are sort of leading to. And all of those inputs are leading to their graduation ultimately. Mm-hmm. Right? And then yeah. there's a really very tangible way that that tracking can happen to know so that everybody knows. And I, I love that part of this whole partnership. It's not a surprise to anybody when a community is ready to graduate. That's mm-hmm. been the goal. And these measures are part of um, of tracking that along the way. Absolutely. And, and I really think that that is a very unique and beautiful approach to mm-hmm. FH. Mm-hmm. You know, other organizations do this, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think to say, okay, we're going to come in with an exit plan mm. and we're going to make it really clear to the communities, we're partnering you for, partnering with you for this period of time because we believe in you, mm-hmm. because we know that you are capable to carry this on after we leave. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's why we work here, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of the many reasons. <laughs> One of the many. Uh, Jenny, our time is coming to a close here. I want to thank you for being here. And I also just want to give you an opportunity. Is there anything else that you were hoping we would talk about today? Anything else you want to add before we close off our time? I think just to end this sort of on on a message of hope, mm-hmm. I think 
a lot of times, especially in the news these days, there's a lot of negative outlooks for the future of our world. Mm -hmm. And I think for me specifically being in this line of work, there are a lot of discouraging pieces that Mm -hmm. we see, you know, there's a lot of struggle, there's a lot of hardship. And yet, on a daily basis, there is so much hope. Mm. And I do think we're headed in a really positive direction. Um, If you look at the statistics over time, you know, Mm -hmm. extreme poverty is diminishing. Mm. And so I think it's really encouraging to see, okay, the work that we're doing is making a difference. Mm -hmm. And that is because of partnership. It's because of partnership with our communities, with our country offices, with other NGOs and with our donors, mm-hmm. right? We're all in this together. And and ultimately, it's not it's not about one of us alone, um, but it is right. about us in that inside that community. So hopefully that's encouraging to people. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. Thank you so much. You mentioned right at the beginning that people could message you if they wanted to know how to keep plants alive. <laughs> Um, (laughs) But on a more serious note, if people would like to contact you and just have more conversations about partnership and collaboration or the work of FH. It's super easy to reach out to us here at FH. So if you just send an email to the info email address at FH, you can uh, get to me pretty easily. Everyone will siphon those emails over to me and then um you know or if you want to be on social media and it's easy for you to message on social media you can do that through fh as well um happy to get in touch any way that's convenient well thanks so much for being here today jenny thanks shalane to explore what your next steps could be or find out more about fh canada start by checking out fhcanada.org resources 